Welcome back to the podcast. Josh Griffiths, owner, operator, head instructor of Clockwork Jiu-Jitsu. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is the relaunch for Posterity. It is February 17th, 2022. Uh, promotions night here at Clockwork. Very serious night, but let's kind of rewind. First time you were on the show. Um, I think it was probably around April or May, right after the pandemic hit. You and I sat, we talked, we did like a good hour conversation. And, you know, first 10 minutes, we were like, oh, yeah, let's, uh, you know, it's going to pass two weeks, three weeks, we'll be fine. And, you know, here we are almost three years later, two and a half years later, we're still in the middle of it. Talk to me about your experience being an owner and operator through that time period where you didn't know what was going to happen, gyms closed, city ordinances, craziness. Walk me through that time period for you. What was that like and what fears did you really have going in not knowing what was going to happen? Um, I mean, I guess the primary fear was that we wouldn't be able to reopen in any capacity and that COVID would stick around in a way that made it impossible to do jiu-jitsu. Um, but I think pretty quickly it became clear that we were going to figure this thing out and we'd be able to move forward. I, I do distinctly remember at one point thinking to myself, um, how did I get into this position where I, I own a jiu-jitsu school in New York City. And at that point, I think it was the only, it was definitely the only place in America that basically jiu-jitsu was illegal. You couldn't do jiu-jitsu in, in New York City. And as much as I love New York City, and I, and I believe it's the greatest city in the world, I kind of wish I had a school somewhere else. <laughs> hey, Boca. <laughs> yeah, somewhere somewhere where the rules weren't as hard, right? Well, yeah, yeah somewhere where people kind of got to decide what they wanted to do, I thought would have been nice. So, you know, we, 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 we waited through that. You know, we're back open. Ordinances are, are slowly easing. But, you know, talk to me about your students, right? I'm one of them. Um, but talk to me about your other students because you know you and I were just talking about it offline before there was a lot of like you know boyfriends and girlfriends that were like well I don't really want this person to train I don't want my significant other to put themselves at risk and then possibly bring that home what was some of the feedback that you were getting from students about potentially coming back to training and or maybe some fears and what did you do as a gym owner to really kind of ease those fears and, and, and make them feel better about being back here? Because I know what you did for me, but... Yeah, so we did, I mean, we did a lot of different things, and it, I think everything went in phases, but I would say the major governing idea or concept that I had was that I had to match uh, the, the risk profile of our clientele, meaning if you felt comfortable doing jujitsu-ish exercise classes on the internet, then we would provide that. If you felt comfortable doing private classes, we would provide that. Um, and then we noticed once we started doing uh, small group trainings again, that as things changed, and, and I think that's the big lesson of this whole period is that things change and you, you have to change with them. 
if you don't change with them, you're, you know, you're just kind of living in the past, right? For sure. Um, but, but as those things changed and people got uh, more comfortable with the idea of training jujitsu in this uh, pandemic COVID time period, um, we increased class size and eventually were able to return to running uh, classes as we had prior to the pandemic. And th that felt really amazing. I remember one of the first days we were able to do that uh, in June when all these guidelines were kind of gone, uh, short-term guidelines were gone. And it, it just felt amazing. It felt amazing to have people come into the gym and try jujitsu for the first time again, <laughs> which is something I, I mean, we had an experience for over a year. Another thing that was really great was that we had tremendous support from our student base during during COVID, especially in the beginning. And while we were doing small group classes and we were doing private classes and things like that, it was a really great opportunity to kind of reconnect with teaching. I remember, you know, I, I hadn't taught a class with five people in it <laughs> for a long time, you know? I was yeah. I was a much younger guy and and it it was cool. It was cool to be like, all right, we got four people here today. We got two people here today. Let's teach a great class. That's yeah. that's what we can do. We we can uh, we face what's what's ahead of us, no matter what it is. We don't really get to pick sometimes in life, and I think it was a really good reminder of that. And it really reminded me of how much I love jujitsu, how much I love teaching jujitsu, and and it was great to see that that love was reciprocated by by the students here. For sure. So what would you say your biggest learning lesson was coming out of this? You know, obviously, fingers crossed, we never face a pandemic like this again where the world gets shut down. But coming out of the pandemic, uh, what were some of your biggest takeaways, either A, as an owner-operator or just even as an instructor? Um, I, I would say as like an owner-operator, there's, there's a tremendous amount of risk and uncertainty that goes unconsidered. You know, we can think about this stuff all day. If someone were to tell me I should have a pandemic preparedness plan, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have really given that much thought. You know? <laughs> and I'm sure there's other things out there like that. I mean, look, we live in New York City. Uh, I was doing jujitsu uh, when 9-11 happened. That's not something I would have thought would happen. And if I were to, at that point, had a jiu-jitsu school below 14th Street, you got you to gotta figure out how to restart. You got to keep going. So that's, that's one thing is that there's a lot of kind of risk that you don't take into consideration. And I think as a teacher, I don't think... Like we talked about spouses earlier, yeah. or maybe significant other, or just people in your life, maybe yeah. your parents, maybe your kids. They don't really get why we do this. No, not at all. Like they get that it's important, and they get that we like it. Maybe it keeps us in shape. Maybe they think we'll save them in some sort of situation. <laughs> but I, I don't really think that's the whole deal, right? No, like, not I think, at all. I think that might be why people start jujitsu. They want to get in shape. They want to learn self defense, something like this. But ultimately, like this is a huge component of my mental health and my physical well-being and my, my social life, you know? I get to socialize with a tremendous amount of people, a uh, very diverse group of people, and I love that. And if I wasn't 
or while I wasn't able to do that, I, I definitely felt like something was missing. And that period varied greatly for people depending on where they were at. Um, but between a couple months to a year and a half, something like that, some people weren't doing this thing that they were used to doing two to six times a week and you saw that toll. Oh yeah, I, I mean for me, I, I will tell you this has been my mental outlet. This has been, to your point, this has been my therapy. Sure. Where, you know, as a lot of, uh, kind of what you alluded to, like to have that taken away and you know, I was off the mat for roughly six months and you know, my wife had concerns. My wife rightfully had concerns. We were in the middle of a pandemic. There was no vaccine. There was no protection, so to speak, uh, for any individuals. And there was a lot of high risk factors of going around. A lot of people, you know, obviously died from COVID for various reasons, what have you. But, you know, for six months, I didn't have that mental outlet, right? And for me, coming into jujitsu, as many people who have listened to this podcast know, many people who know me personally throughout the gym, I struggled with weight loss for my entire life until I started training with you and started training here at Clockwork Jiu-Jitsu. And for me, immediately, as soon as we shut down and had to go into lockdown, you know, I was, I was crossing my fingers month, 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 week, month, day, one. Like, I was continuously, and then when it finally got to that, like, two-month mark and nothing was coming back around... It took a long mental toll on me, and for me, growing up through my entire life, I've eaten my depression. I would eat through um, bad times. I would medicate with food, and you know, coming in, you know, getting off the mats in good shape. I, you know, like most, I put on about thirty pounds, forty pounds through COVID. Thankfully, I've lost all of that now, but you know. It was my mental health that was struggling and where I was depressed. And you're right, spouses, friends, they don't always get what we do. They don't understand that it's not just a physical activity. It's also a mental activity. And I think the a, a majority of the people I've spoken to throughout the pandemic have said, like, listen, I suffered a little mentally through this, right? I spoke to somebody who was a psychologist at one point through the pandemic and you know, we talked about the mental health aspect that jujitsu provides, and I feel as though a lot of people suffered. Welcome to New York, ladies and gentlemen. Fire trucks in the background. Um, you know, it, mental health struggled, and I and, and I really feel that a lot of people don't understand the mental health aspect that jujitsu brings. And for me, as one of your students, as somebody who trains here. And it, it, it really, to be back here, to walk back in the doors and smell that wow. jujitsu smell, that gym smell for the first time, it was like walking in the door for the very first time again. And, you know, I, for you, again, teaching two people, I remember there were yeah. classes here very early on that it was like five of us, but yeah. it was the happiest moment of my life. Sure. So from an from a instructor standpoint and from an owner standpoint, I can see where you're coming from. You know, let's talk a little bit about you, right? Let's let's rewind, you know, uh, and let's go back to early Josh, yeah. <laughs> young Josh. What got you in, you know, I don't think we've ever really bridged this gap or talked about this on the podcast before, but you have a college degree. I, I, I do. I believe yeah. it's in engineering. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So you went, how do you go from an engineering degree 
to jujitsu instructor slash owner? Like, what got you to the point where you woke up one morning and said, I want to open my own place? Sure. Um, I, I guess I guess to address, like, the engineering thing, I, I always had, like, uh, aptitude for math science, and I ended up getting a scholarship to go to Stevens, which is a school in Hoboken, for engineering. And while I was there, I started jujitsu. Um, and I fell in love with jujitsu. I thought it was amazing. And what I realized at the same time is I, I didn't, I, I wasn't really happy doing engineering work, or at least the work I was doing. And through training jujitsu uh, and maybe viewing it through this analytical lens, I was able to start teaching pretty quickly. Um, and then when the opportunity arose to run a school, I did that. Failed horribly. Just didn't work. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, and while I had a tremendous amount of enthusiasm, it, it was just going in the wrong directions. And I ended up having about 30 students. And the owner of that school was out he was a finance guy. It was a bad time um, for the economy and the market. He's like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's when, in March 2009, I started Clockwork. And it was my own thing. And I, I had a little bit of, of money I borrowed. And I was able to sign a three-year lease, buy the mats from the guy, set up, you know, what I thought was uh, awesome school in hindsight. It's kind of dumb, kind of small. <laughs> um, but I, I think through that period, I was able to kind of kind of refine the way I wanted to teach. And in addition to refining the way I wanted to teach, I was able to really start to understand like what it means to own a jiu-jitsu school. What kind of a I wanted to offer um, and create and what kind of a culture I wanted, I wanted to have and I would say the one thing that's consistently gotten better is my vision of what I want the culture to be more accurate and then my ability to create that and then in turn when new people come in they see that that's what it is and it kind of creates a flywheel Sure. Right. So I'm glad you talked about the culture of the gym because, again, there are tons of great jujitsu gyms all throughout New York, all throughout the country. Um, the culture is one of the big things that attracted me early on when I was a white belt nine or so years ago to stay here, be here, and train under you and train with you and the team that that team that was here at the time and the team that still exists today. Where does that come from, right? Because you get a lot of gyms in New York City that have different cultures. If you're late, you can't train. If you're not wearing a white gi, you can't train. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of old school rule sets that some gyms follow, and that's great for their business, and that's great for them. And I think it's a, it's a definite culture that that gym creates that people some, some people love, some people don't. Um, but where did you come up with the idea for the culture of clockwork? Because it's a very 
you know, as a New Yorker with a, Cali uh, a wife from California, you know, it's a very California laid back culture in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. Um, where did you create that? How did you come up with that idea and, and, and that kind of structure and why? So, so before I started teaching Jiu-Jitsu full time, I had a job, you know, I worked for a bank and I had to go to work and sometimes you're late to class, sometimes you're, you hopefully you're on time, but sometimes you're late. Um, and I always wanted to be, uh, I wanted to provide a service, you know, and I, and I, I don't think after you work 8, 10, 12, I don't know, some people work a lot, maybe work 12 or 14 hours a day and you show up at Jiu-Jitsu, I don't think you want someone to like, like some 25 year old kid to tell you to do burpees because you're late. <laughs> I just did, like, I don't want that. Maybe somebody else does, that's fine. But that's not what I ever wanted. And I, I want, I, I really have this belief that we're able to perform best when we're comfortable. And if that means learning, that means exercising, that means doing your job, like you want people to be comfortable. And what I try and do here is is facilitate that, right? So maybe it's your first day, maybe it's your what did you start ten years ago? Nine. Nine years ago. Like whenever you come here, I want you to be comfortable. I, I don't want you to be like I don't want you to ever feel like bullied by somebody. I don't want you to have to train with people you don't want to train with. Because at the end of the day there's like we're not a huge competition school. We have people that, you know, they win big tournaments, they win Masters Worlds, they win Pan Am, these kind of things. But most of the people have a job. And some of them have a family. And I think what this is for them is something they get to do for themselves. And when you're doing something for yourself, I, I don't think you want to show up 15 minutes late and have me like yell at you. For sure. That's just what I, I don't know. I, that's, that's like my worldview. And there, there's certainly times where you, you, there's people that are always late and you're like, I wish they were on time sometimes. <laughs> that's not where I'm going to invest my energy. I'm not going to get mad about somebody showing up late. I'm not going to get mad about somebody wearing some gi that I think is ugly. Or, you know, I don't care. That's not what I want to do. I want people to come here. I want them to have fun. I want them to learn jujitsu and you know meet some interesting people and have this be a very positive part of their life for sure that's it it's, it's I don't want it to be more than that I don't want drama I don't want headaches I want it to be fun positive people get in shape you know maybe you lose some weight maybe you learn how to choke some people with your legs but I want it to be good you know I want it to be a positive experience yeah and, and, and I again it, it's to me what draws me here today it's what draw, drew me here nine years ago I, I think that you, you create this environment of um, positivity you know we, we, we talk about PMA here all the time and a bunch of us have got that tattooed somewhere on our bodies somewhere, somewhere. if you're here long enough you, you can't leave without a PMA tattoo I think um, you know pivoting into the business side you know coming out of COVID, running this business for as long as you have, what's been your, your, your biggest learning lesson overall about people, customer service, 
Um, what's been your biggest learning lesson about running a gym and managing people? Um, and how does that tie into the bigger picture of what you're creating and what you have created? I think my biggest takeaway during COVID is that like I have a lot more optionality to change things here than I thought I did. Even silly things like our, our white belt class used to be at six and now it's at 5.30 and it's as big or bigger than it ever was. And I thought that was a bad hour. You know, I thought 5.30 was too close, but it's great. And I think that's just an example of some other things that, whether it's here in regular life, that you do because it's what you always did, you know? And, and it's really, for me, more about like, I should do the things that provide the best service and from a business perspective that create the most value, right? Whereas in, in the past, maybe I was like, well, this is when we do this, so that's when we're gonna do it. This is what this costs, so it's always gonna cost that. And just having the flexibility and optionality to realize that, you know, things, things change, you know? Be okay with changing. And that's, that's, that's a big lesson for me. So did you ever have, you know, during, during, to pivot back a little bit, you know, I, I'm sure you and I had lots of offline conversations throughout COVID. Yeah. Um, what was the hardest conversation, obviously I'm not asking you to name anybody, but one of your students, what was the hardest conversation you really kind of had to have with somebody around training during COVID or what have you? And how did you get through that? Because I, I can, you know, I know from knowing you for as long as I have, you're a very straightforward, personable dude, and you are somebody who anybody can come to, right? Like, you're not only our coach and head instructor here, but you answer any questions we have in life in general. But when you had to have a heart-to-heart, what was that one, What was that heart-to-heart that you had to have with that one person about it, and, and how did that make you feel knowing that that person could come to you with this conversation? I don't know. I mean, when I, I was thinking about the wrong thing. I just, this is what I, I think the hardest thing I had to do was close the school. Okay. I, and that, I mean, I think that's, I want to say it's March 19th. It was. And, and I remember that morning, I forget who, some jujitsu guy closed the school and they're like, oh, are you going to close? And I was like, I can't close my school. For, what are you talking about? And by that night, I closed the school. Yeah. So now you hurt your shoulder. That was the night I hurt the my shoulder. Last class. Last class of the uh, day. It was a th- Thursday. It was a Thursday night. I, I distinctly remember that night for several reasons other than separating my shoulder that night. I remember driving here. I was uh, on my way here and I remember COVID like this, like the news. It was just every day, 24 hours a day. Like I remember like the streets were just, it was the first time that I drove here at like 5.30, I think it was, 6 o'clock. I was on my way here from work and the roads were just empty. It yeah. was the first time I could get across the Manhattan Bridge during rush hour and just breeze all over it. And I like, the entire time I'm sitting behind the wheel of the car and I'm like, should I do this? Do I go in? Do I come to this class? Do I like yeah. do this? And then I remember it was a competition class night. And usually competition class, like, 20, 30 people deep. And I walked in the door, and it was, like, eight people. 
crickets. It was crickets, <laughs> like literally crickets. And I like every ounce of my soul that night was like, do I do this? Am I like, yeah. am I risking my health tonight? Am I? And I, I was because <laughs> it's in a different way, way. <laughs> in a much different way. Um, but I remember like questioning it every minute that I was here up until you know the injury happened. From the minute I like parked, I sat in the car for five or ten minutes and was like, should I just turn this car around? Should I go home tonight? Like, is this the night? Like, I remember saying to myself, is this the night the gym closes? Because just like you, being tied to the community, I kept seeing all these Instagram and Facebook yeah. posts, all oh, my gyms closed, or, you know, big gyms in New York City, in LA, in Colorado, all posting, sorry guys, due to COVID, we're closed for an unforeseen amount of time things of that nature and I just kept quiet. like I literally sat there for a hard five to ten minutes and it came up and it was crickets and again same thing and I think you had at the end of the class had like said like guys this is it like this was this is you know we're gonna have to shut down for a little bit stay tuned um and I remember hearing that and feeling that emotion um even through being injured after you know Getting getting an Uber and going home that night and just being like, man, what's happening next? Yeah, like what is what's tomorrow? What's next week? Yeah, that was a really there's so much uncertainty, and and that's I mean that's really hard for anybody. Um, it was really hard for me as a guy that basically does the same thing at that point six days a week, show up, teach jujitsu. You know, do some emails. Have some fun. <laughs> That's it. Like, so for me to be so regimented, uh, and then for it to be like, oh, the things you like to do, you can't do those until who knows when. And that that was that was hard, man. That was really that was that was really sketchy. I remember a lot of uncertainty during those, particularly that first month, just being like, I don't know. I don't know what's next. So was there ever a point, you know, because I, you know, I, amongst many people that we talked to, this podcast came out of COVID. Like, yeah. I would have never, if COVID would have never happened, you and I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation most yeah. likely. Like, this podcast came out of me wanting to just connect with the community and connect with friends and, and talk to people. Um, but there was a certain point where, like, we were two months in and I was like, is clockwork still gonna beat it? Like, yeah. did you ever have an inkling that you may never reopen, or did you ever have that thought of like, I don't know if I can reopen? I remember the beginning of May. It was bad. I just remember there, there's like two two periods that were. One was the initial thing really sucked because you know people are canceling their memberships, and you're like, oh wow. I still have bills to pay, you know? And then I remember, like, I don't want to say hopelessness, but there was a period of, like, less hope and, and trying to get, like, a handle on how we could reopen and when we would reopen. And that was, that's, that sucked. Like, just that, that uncertainty. And I don't think I ever, like, gave up hope. Certainly not. There, there may have been, like, moments of, like, weakness or doubt. 
but it was never like three consecutive days of like planning to move to Texas or anything. You know, it wasn't, it never got like that. Um, I, I had, you know, obviously I have a great staff here and I'll be able to stay in touch with them. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm friends with a couple of school owners all over the country. And I, I got back on Instagram at some point during COVID and I was able to kind of, at that point I was just doing yoga, kind of like sharing yoga with my, my friends and, and that was great. It was like a great way to have like some community. And then I remember, I don't know the guy's, I don't know the kid's name, but he has a school in Korea. And I saw him post like that did open. I messaged like, I don't usually message strangers on the internet. It's not really my thing. But I, I, I like reached out. Some of us like doing it. So, some people do. That's great. <laughs> it's just not my thing. Uh, and I, but I reached out and I was like, you guys are open? He's like, yeah. And I was like, and how long were you closed? And he told me the whole story. He's like, don't give up hope. Like, you'll be able to open. And I remember that being big. I remember that being really big, seeing that reopening thing. And then in May... We were staying at some cabin in the woods, and I was like, I remember like the idea of New York City reopening, like lockdown was ending and all these things, and I was like, all right, I want to be there for the reopening of New York City, and I got back to the city, we moved into a new apartment on May 15th, it just turned out we were like a year early. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, a little bit, I think we were all a little About a year early, but I, I remember those periods pretty vividly. Yeah. I think that the 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 biggest thing is is that you know the jujitsu community kind of stayed strong, and it was the first time in a long time I think that the rivalries kind of dropped a little. the The community really showed what it was about about being one community because you know obviously, like you said, we're not a big competition school, right? Yeah. People compete, but like you, there are other schools out there across the country that are huge competition schools. And have like these rivalries where it's like, you know, team this versus team this at the world and like it's it's killer be killed scenarios. But it was the first time I really saw, and especially through social media, being able to connect with people through this podcast, that like we were a community and everybody was rooting for everybody. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it was the first real time in my experience at least of doing jujitsu for nine years or eight years at the time that like I, I realized why I fell in love with the sport, why I fell in love with the art. And, you know, I think that we as a community really showed our resilience, our positive mental attitude, and what we really could do and how we can come out of it, right? And I think one of the biggest takeaways is that, you know, Jiu-Jitsu is worldwide. Like you said, you reached out to some guy in Korea that you've never reached out to because he opened his school. What was, you know, for you, the tipping point when you knew things were back? Like, when did you really... Because I'm sure there was a point... Like, back back? Yeah, like, I'm sure there was a point where you were still kind of on the fence. Like, you know, obviously people had started to slowly come back and activate memberships again. Was it when you got those first set of new students? Was it when... Like, what was your back-back moment? Like, when did you know that the, the was, ship was right? It was February 2021 to March 2021 because that's when we hit our bottom for revenue. Like, 
it was just like a gross red waterfall. <laughs> you know? And then and then it stopped going down. It wasn't going up, but it stopped going down. And and you know, in some capacity, people were training again. And that was when I that was that was when I had this like moment where where I was like, all right, so let's make it through this. And and then the the other thing that gave me a lot of hope was like I think I we we talked earlier about this idea that there was a point during the pandemic where New York City was the only place in America where you couldn't do jiu-jitsu, right? You couldn't legally do jiu-jitsu. Right. Um, but you could do it other places. And not only could you do it in other places, people were doing it. And a lot of people were doing it. Like whether, you, whether it was, you know, people in Texas, people in Florida, people in schools all over the place with bags on the windows, whatever they were doing. And what you realized was maybe from an outsider's lens, oh, jiu-jitsu people are crazy. But I don't think that's really what it was. It was that jiu-jitsu, people who were choosing to do jiu-jitsu during these, this pandemic, especially earlier in the pandemic, were saying, I have some understanding of what it means to get this, this virus. And I have a deep understanding of what it means to train jiu-jitsu on a regular basis. And I'm gonna do the trade. I'm gonna do jiu-jitsu. Because I think I know what this is, and that might happen, but I definitely know what this is. And this is better than that. For sure, the risk the risk versus reward factor was something that I weighed out for a while and we were you know, we were talking about it yeah. and earlier and you know, I had my pod. Sure. <laughs> Everyone's got you know I, I, I had my I had my, my goings around and I you know, I think a lot of things, a lot of factors to the risk versus reward for me were class sizes, which you kept very small. Um, A lot of it was like, you know, the processes that you put in place from checking in, checking out, and and reserving a spot, and then having, you know, things to look forward to. Like, I remember very early on through the check-in system, that Friday noon class was like... Coveted. It was coveted. It was like getting into (laughs) Studio 54. Like, if you didn't reserve that class a week in advance, the minute that it went online, you were, you know, SOL. Yeah. And I think that was a, a, a phenomena, uh, uh, like I've never seen before, but it was very exciting to try to like get into that class or get into certain classes here. Sure. And again, that speaks volumes to the culture, that speaks volumes to what you did to keep everybody safe, that speaks volumes to, you know, jujitsu in general. Um, you know, enough of the depressing, let's kind of pivot, you know, the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so, let's talk about some positives, right? So, you, we came back. I mean, I, I don't think COVID was like this huge negative thing. I, I think it was just a thing, you know? Right. And, it's, and, and things are kind of what you make out of them. And I had my daughter during COVID. I got to spend a ton of time with my son uh, and my wife during COVID. And I got to spend a lot of time with my students in, in a far smaller group, more intimate setting than I would have if, you know, we had 40 people in every class. So I, I think those are all positives. Like, financially, it sucked, you know? Uh, there were restrictions that 
didn't allow us to live our lives the way we wanted to, maybe, or we would have lived them otherwise. But I don't, I don't think it's like inherently like COVID's bad or COVID's negative. I think it's just a thing, you know. It's what For we sure. do with it. For sure. I think it was bad. I think it was bad. <laughs> Um, you know, let's pivot, right? We, we, we recently, tonight, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're having our first, or excuse me, second promotions of the, uh, in the last six or seven months. We, we got our first group together July 15th, um, of last year? Yeah, July was last year. Days bleeding together. July 15th, uh, it was the first time we had a group of people together in a long time to do a full promotions because you had been giving out belts just on the maps yeah. throughout it. Tonight we're having our our second promotions. What is a what does a promotions night mean to you? Like, what do you what do you what do you feel on a night like this? First off, and you know we'll pivot into something else we talked a little bit about earlier. But what does promotions night mean to you? For for me. I think it's a lot like any other, like a graduation ceremony, um, like a birthday, like a wedding. It's like a, it's just one day, right? Like it's one minute, whatever. It's And it's not the beginning or the end of the world. But what it does do is it signifies like uh, progress, right? And like the night you got your black belt, you weren't like markedly better at jiu-jitsu the next day. <laughs> you know? No, it's not. You know, you're probably the same guy. Um, but while while it is only a day, it represents like a culmination of days or a culmination of classes and years oftentimes. And what you want to do with it, what I want to do with promotions is just is just recognize these people, you know? You only get you only get promoted in jiu-jitsu. I mean you get your stripes on your black belt or welts, whatever, but right. there's only four belts, you know, until you get older and then you get like the coral belt, like these belts, right? But for the most part, most people, there's four belts. Right. Blue, purple, brown, black. And it's a hard thing to do. I was talking with a, one of my good friends, this kid, it's not a kid anymore, he's 30, we're all old. This guy, <laughs> his, name is, his name is Jim Harbison and we were talking about uh, somebody had gotten, gotten their black belt and, and the idea was like, when we were doing jujitsu, I mean, when, particularly him, like, that's all he did. He just did jujitsu. And we were talking about how hard it is for people who have like regular jobs or maybe really hard jobs. And maybe you have, you know, a husband or a wife, girlfriend, maybe you have some kids. Like this doesn't make it easier to carve out. No, not at all. Two, two hours. It, and and in in carving out that time, there's a greater sacrifice. Like I, I firmly believe there's a greater sacrifice for a 40 year old guy with a couple of kids and a job than there is for a 19 year old kid. Oh yeah, that I'm 41 years old. Yeah, it's it's just harder to do it. And when people are able to get to these these levels of competency and proficiency that we deem worth rewarding with new belts, it's amazing. And you always, you want to be mindful of that and, you know, give them a, a nice little show. Um, and I also think it's great to bring everyone together. You know, it's, there's people that, I, I guess we have three or four time slots now that people train in and they don't see each other. Not at all. But like, and, and so for some people, it's an opportunity to maybe train 
with um, people they don't usually train with or see people they haven't seen in a long time. People's lives change, so they, they shift between these groups. I think that's good. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, from my perspective, you know, I've been black belt now in July. It was one of the biggest surprises of my entire life. Um, you know, you never really know what's going to come, when it's going to come, and, and how it's going to happen. Um, one of the things that we talked about earlier that I thought was pretty funny is you put out an email, let it, you know, two, three, four weeks before promotion. Um, and I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this. Um, I certainly have over the years. It kind of turns into a, a, a higher attendance rate, a higher... You know, as I like to, as I've dubbed it, kind of like Shark Week, the week before actual promotions. You know, you 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 start to see people coming in, rolling a little harder. Have you ever noticed that one? And then the second part that I'm very curious about, because a lot of clockwork people are going to listen to this. How long? How far in advance are you making these belt decisions? Because I've always been curious. Like, is it? Are you down to the last day before you're making a decision, or are you like dialed in a month or so before, like when that email goes out? Are you dialed in at that point? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing is yes, I've noticed. <laughs> uh, and and and, and two, um, the fact that a promotion ceremony maybe like motivates people. I think it's great. I think whatever can motivate people to do more jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu more frequently to the extent, you know, it's not wrecking their life. They're not doing this instead of going to work or they're neglecting their children or something. I think it's good. Um, like, is that interpreted the same way by people that are used to being here all the time? Maybe not. But I don't really care. I want to teach jiu-jitsu to as many people as I can and have as much positive impact as I can through jiu-jitsu and through clockwork, right? So if sending out an email, saying in a few weeks, we're going to do promotions, and then a student who typically trains once a month is now training three times a week, that's great. For sure. Right? That being said, like, I have a pretty good idea of who I'm going to promote and when, particularly with the higher belts. Um, and then I meet with the staff and we kind of, you know, we'll grab lunch or have a coffee and we kind of go through a list. And it's pretty, pretty democratic how we decide who's going to get promoted. Um, and then I have veto. Override <laughs> power. You know, that's it. But, but, but it's, it, we're, not, we're not promoting people. Like if someone, like Juan teaches at eight, I, I teach that class a handful of times a year now, right? He's out of town. Nobody else can do it. Fine. I'll teach the 8 o'clock class. So I don't have as much interaction with those guys. I don't get to see them train as much. So he's going to have a lot of weight on that. Um, maybe there's another class that Kyle teaches. Maybe there's a... I don't teach the white belt class anymore. So those guys who do teach it give me a lot of input into, into making those decisions. Um, I, I don't discourage people from trying to make that full court press at the end. But it's, it's a lot like high school or college or whatever like if you just try and study right before the exam you're still gonna fail you know? <laughs> like, go to the class all year like I, I really believe with jiu-jitsu consistency is what puts people through you find a routine 
go hard on your routine twice a week. Twice a week for a year is way better than the guy that does four classes a week for the month before promote. Like, yeah, I only have a month. Right. You know? Right. And I think that that's fair, right? Because you're right. It is somewhat arbitrary in terms of, you know, you can't study for the exam at the last minute. That's it. Jiu-Jitsu is not like that. It's just not, you know? Um, but that, that being said, I, I hope if all I had to do was send an email that had promotions in the title to fill up the room, I'd send them more often. <laughs> I, I, you might, yeah, you might start having, that might be uh, the joke of the day. Yeah. You might have to start, oh, promotions more. Yeah, just, um, just kidding, I'm trying to sell a rash card. <laughs> <laughs> right, click the link, see what, see, see, see the day of promotions takes you right to, a, to the merch page. Um, one, la- one or two last things for you before we close out here. Speaking of merch, you know, you, you, you've collaborated with a lot of different folks. Um, my, my favorite company, one of my favorite companies, Show Your Roll is one of them. You've got some new uh, merch on our website, which we'll plug at the end and also plug on uh, when this gets published out. But, you know, how did that, how did that relationship come about, right? Because a lot of, in, in the jiu-jitsu community, Show Your Roll is very coveted in terms of, like, being a part of them, being a representative, being an athlete for them, or being a sponsored coach. One, how did that come about? And two, what's that relationship been like for you with Bear and the team over at Show Your Roll? Um, so it came about, uh, I have two, two great guys, uh, Kenny Florian, who's my jiu-jitsu teacher, and then another guy who's like a, a mentor of my jiu-jitsu is Jared Wiener. And they were both Show Your Roll guys very early on. And I think when Bear was looking to expand, he, he reached out to those guys and they mentioned me um, and I had a phone call with Bear and it went good they sent me some stuff and I liked the stuff I said it was great and then that's how, that's how it started you know pretty pretty simple you know and what that, that that's just been a great relationship uh not only in terms of like creating products together and then them supporting me with, with uh, stuff to train in and then stuff to, to wear outside of the gym, but they also were very supportive during COVID. They, they gave us uh, some opportunities to collaborate with other schools just in terms of like, what are you guys doing? What's working? They were sending out resources in terms of how to set up Zoom calls and like other ways to kind of engage your student base while we couldn't do what we do, right? Right. Um, and and then th- those guys have just been great. Like one of like uh, one of the guys that, that used to train here, I still consider him like a, a student and a good friend is Zook, and and Zook uh, he he helps them run the Asia stuff uh, he's an awesome guy and and Bear's great I call Bear just to, just to you know just, just, just to talk talk for a while and he's awesome um, and then his whole team is great they, they're always very supportive they always help me out whenever I need anything um, yeah Sugarroll's great Sugarroll's amazing they created uh, some great merch we recently uh, dropped a key with them and we, we continue at Clockwork uh, to, to produce some great, great collaborations with them. Um, in closing, you know, we're, we're here, 
it's 2022. We're hopefully towards the end of this pandemic, um, going into what they call the endemic. Um, closing out, any words for the community, any words for your listeners, any words for your students uh, to close out the day here, Josh? Uh, again, I just want to first off before you, you go, thank you for coming on the podcast. I think you're the only third time uh, guy so far that's on this podcast. Got a lot of people coming up second time around, but you're the only, only, only third time. So one, thank you for supporting my podcast. Thank you for talking to me. Um, thank you for providing this culture and this school for me to be a part of. It's an honor to be a black belt under you. Um, but any message, any words going into the rest of 2022 for your students and our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the main thing for me is just, just gratitude. You know, I'm really grateful that we could make it through this period as a school and a community. And I'm happier now than I've ever been with both our staff and our student body. I think they're, they're both amazing. And I'm really confident as we kind of go into this next phase uh, that we're gonna thrive. We're gonna do classes that are, that are fun to attend and we're gonna keep adding classes and keep growing. And it's great. It's great to see New York City thriving again you know that's that's something that there was some uncertainty about I remember people were everyone's moving to Florida <laughs> everyone's moving to Florida um, so I, I'm happy to see New York City doing great I'm happy to see Clockwork doing great and I'm happy that Jiu Jitsu is doing great all over the world and hopefully it's bigger than ever and people can really now that for in some capacity it was taken away from everyone, whether that just meant, oh, you have to train in your garage with your cousin or, or whatever your situation is. Like, most schools closed for a while, right? Or didn't come back at all. Or didn't come back at all, unfortunately. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful we were able to not only come back, but we're, we're, we're thriving again. And I, I hope we can, you know, offer great classes and, and have a great community. That's it. Awesome. Josh, I, again, thank you so very much for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Um, where can we, A, or where can people listening to this find more information on the gym? And then where can we find the merch page? Sure. So uh, the gym, clockworkbjj.com, best place to go. Uh, you can get to the merch page from there or direct at clockwork.nyc. And uh, you can see all the, uh, all the wacky ideas that we've turn into close. Awesome. Guys, thank you so very much for listening today. Uh, I hope you continue to listen. Find me on Spotify as well as every other platform and stay tuned to Instagram for video and YouTube for video. Thank you so very much for joining us this evening, guys. Have a great day.